Welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Lab podcast. I'm joined by Tom Savage of Three Red Kings. Um, most of you will know Three Red Kings because it's a very respected source of rugby journalism for Munster uh, and for Ireland as well. It's something I really enjoy reading. It's insightful, it's in-depth, uh, it's for real rugby fans and it gets people interested in the game. So Tom, you're probably better at describing what you do than I am. So if you wouldn't mind, so tell me what is Three Red Kings? How how did you get started and where does this passion for rugby come from? Oh, well, thank you very much for having me on in the first place. Um, you did a good job describing it there. Um, what I try to do with it is, um, well, the reason why I started first was I was looking, when I got back to Ireland, I was abroad in New Zealand and Italy. Uh, I'd been involved through rugby there uh, with different clubs, learned a bit of analysis, a bit of coaching. So I came back to Ireland and I thought, you know what, I want to do some of this back here, uh, coaching, so on and so forth. But, that was a dead end almost straight away. So I thought, you know what? <laughs> I failed in the coaching. I'll try media. It's a fairly, <laughs> it's a fairly standard route. Uh, yeah. So I uh, I went looking to see, was there any chance of getting uh, published in a newspaper or whatever else? And there was nothing. No responses, no nothing. So at that point, I kind of just kind of jacked it in for a while. And yeah, I just kind of felt, you know, because personally things were quite bad for me at the time uh, with regards to not having any money, slowly running out when I came back from abroad, living in Dublin, very expensive. Uh, Almost like hope poisoning, because you have this idea that, oh, I'm going to go do this job and this is what I'm going to go after. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really give myself over to that, but you're spending money all the time. And uh, yeah, so I ended up like fairly uh, uh, broke, (laughs) pretty much. So I ended up in a hostel. And as I was kind of sitting there in this old convent, uh, was repurposed to be a um, to be a hostel but only very recently <laughs> like when I was there you could see the old statues downstairs uh, of all the, the religious statues and all this other stuff which was fun coming back late at night um, I was in my room uh, around near enough to September 11th because I set it up on that day um, and I just said you know what I have to do something here to take my mind off what's going on with my life at the moment so I'll just start writing about rugby and see what happens. Because uh, I jacked in the idea at that stage of writing for a newspaper or whatever else. Because that, that's what, there was no route. That was the only route, really. You, 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 you write to get exposure so that you can get hired by somebody to write for them and they'll pay you. That was the only real route at the time that I was aware of. So I just kind of started. Uh, 2015, 2016 was my first season doing it. Um, the uh, 2015 World Cup, was on at the time. The guy uh, there was a guy I was staying with was a uh, French guy. Over he was a former fella. He used to he was in the ASN uh, Claremont uh, Academy, and uh, we had we were just chatting about rugby and stuff like that. So I said, you know what, I'll just get started. Just just have a go. Just to just to put something out there and to feel like I'm doing something other than looking for work and <laughs> not having enough money for food and all this other stuff and just go. You know what, I'm just gonna buy a URL, it was something like my last 50 quid at the time and just give it a go because what else am I doing? So I just kind of started there, set up a Twitter account um, and just kind of started just writing about rugby and at the very start, you're at zero like, zero reply stage on Twitter which is a depressing place to be (laughs) and uh, yeah, so we were just kind of, uh, I I was involved with two other guys at the start that kind of helped me get it set up 
uh, the first year we kind of split writing and, and stuff like that. After a while, though, they kind of lost interest and fell away from it. But I stayed doing it. And uh, that's kind of what we were you know, by the end of the first season. I mean, it wasn't a great season, 2015, 2016 for Munster. Uh, probably one of the worst seasons going, although we saw a different reason why it might be how bad it can get the season after for different reasons. But uh, in 2015, 2016, a tough year to start because it was a very tough year for Munster. Um, but yeah, it just kind of started from there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's really inspiring, you know, to hear um, about that route in. It's so hard to get into, into journalism, particularly rugby journalism. It's quite a niche sport and it's a closed shop. I find in Ulster anyway, there are certain people write for the big papers and beyond that, there's not that many opportunities, exactly the same as yourself. Someone told me it was easier to play for Ireland than it was to get in the press box, <laughs> which, which actually, in terms of... In terms of numbers, it's probably not. It's probably not. Uh, that, that is not far off the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, do you know, that could be disheartening or else you can take the approach you've taken and really dedicated yourself to doing quality, quality journalism. And something, I, I don't know, this is, this is my opinion anyway. I suppose a lot of coverage in sort of mainstream newspapers, online articles in particular, it's quite superficial at times. Uh, sensationalist as well do you know either it's it's sort of a, a brief summary of the facts of the game who scored the tries you don't get an overall sense of what happened or else something big or controversial is happening and that's the only focus so obviously that's designed for clickbait attention grabbing there are a few notable exceptions to that uh, yourself the likes of Murray Kinsella Squidge who, who uses a different sort of format for covering rugby he does it in a and I include yourself in this it's sort of covering the game in a in a humorous sort of insightful and engaging way now I don't know do you agree with that for a start but also what more do you think could be done to improve the coverage of rugby because it is such a niche sport and is inaccessible I would say to a casual fan coming coming along to watch the game for the first time, you'd just be sat there thinking, what on earth is, is going on? It can be quite difficult. Like, like I've always kind of looked at it with rugby that uh, I'm in the entertainment business. The sports is entertainment. Like you can get kind of wrapped up in the idea that you're doing hard journalism when it comes to sports. But I think that's rubbish. Nonsense. Yeah. It's entertainment. We're behind, like, is in, in the papers. You're behind the funny pit. You're behind the, the, car- the cartoons for a reason. Yeah. Like, it's when you when I see good analysis. Good analysis to me is entertaining analysis, regardless of what it is. Boring analysis, even if it's very in depth, very th- boring analysis is poison for the game. Like, I think that like analysis and the coverage of the game reflects and can actually it can actually drive engagement with the game. It can drive interest and make people more interested in a product than what they were. And I say product, I said this, I was saying this on Twitter there yesterday, people hear product and they think, oh, they're rolling their eyes like it's a marketing thing. It is to an extent, yeah, but like you are selling a product. Like it, rugby is a game, like people pay to get in. Like it's it, it's a product. We're in the live events business. So like if you, the more people you can get into the gate, the better everybody does. Media, the sport itself. The organizations around it like it all makes like it, it, it makes money that way yeah. and more money you make everybody's happy i think if you can produce entertaining coverage um it's better for everybody better for the person doing the coverage and better for the game and coverage but my what i've seen because i kind of started off like 
in around 2015, 2016, like Murray Kinsella, as you mentioned, there was a huge inspiration for me to start off with because I remember Murray Kinsella before he was with the 42 was writing on his own blog at the time. And I remember coming across this stuff and because I was looking for stuff like, look, a lot of the stuff that was out there was very much like, you know, super, like, like you said, superficial, like the stuff was very much like, um, they'd much rather focus on an individual narrative, like, like not exacting now, but like to say, oh, that a certain team didn't want it enough mm-hmm. or there's not enough big characters there. I wanted to know more than this. I wanted to, I wanted to see more because what I was dealing with, like when I was like, doing my bits and pieces with coaching wise, you can see it's not like at the elite level, everybody wants it to a, to a, to, you know, to, to, to an extent, like the idea of, oh, they didn't want it enough or whatever. Like that to me is just bluster. That doesn't make that, that I can't quantify that. I like to have things in front of me. I like to, well, what is this? What's happened in this game? What's happened in that game? Why did they win? Why did they lose? And Murray Kinsella stuff, but it was just like, that's the stuff. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff now is what I think people want to, people want to see. And this was yeah. in 2013, 24. I'm not sure when exactly it was now. Mm-hmm. But I remember because I was in New Zealand and then I was in Italy. I was just like, geez, this stuff is really good. So you'd, always, you'd always be looking home yeah. to see what's happening there. And you're, you're trying to read as much as you can and keep up with it. Because when you're in New Zealand, it's all happening like yesterday or you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very difficult to keep up with it but yeah uh, Murray Kinsella was a huge inspiration as to me as to what could be done as to, as to what could be produced so like the way when it comes to content this stuff that like that that I try to do or whatever else I think there's two ways to go about it I think you can go the negative and controversial route mm. which is where you try to generate because uh, it's easier to do negative stuff than what it is too positive way mm-hmm. easier negative mm-hmm. stuff gets way quicker like if you want to get negative attention for example you would start going on about project players you would start going on about like you know that kind of xenophobic angle that comes with that easy engagement really easy engagement so you can get you can get you know a, a lot of guys invested and angry and the rage bait is an yeah. easy thing to do with sports like if you wanted to get big quick writing Decent rage base is the best way to go. Yeah. But long-term, I think that's the, the worst way to go because pe- after a while, people just kind of, they, they, they lose interest in that. There's like, ah, it's the same old, there's the same old stuff here. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Because uh, you look at like Frano, for example. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I zero time for this guy. Zero yeah. pity. You know, when he got canned from the, the Indo, I thought, good. Yeah. So long, long time coming. Yeah. Like that stuff was all the same, all negativity, yeah. all having cuts off people. It's easy. Yeah. That's the easy way. Yeah. The hard way, I think, is to do positive coverage yeah. where you're getting people excited that watch your watch, win or lose. It was worth your time to spend watching it and you'll spend the same time next week. If you can do that, you can build an audience of people who are enjoying what the game is because it's a game. Like it's, yeah. it's entertainment to me. So if you can get people along for that, then you're in a, in a situation where now you're building an audience because you're giving people something to enjoy. Because look, people work hard. They have very little free time. You know, you're working at a job. If you've got kids, you're taking them here, you're taking them there. You've got to go shopping, you've got bills and all this other stuff. The game at the weekend, and I knew this myself when I was like really messed up up in Dublin, the game at the weekend coming up, that's the thing you're looking at and you're thinking about. That 80 minutes, not even 80 minutes, there's the hour before, there's halftime, there's the hour afterwards when 
everything that's happened in the game is bouncing around your head. They are the moments where you're just like, well, this is great because I'm not thinking about work, life, all this other stuff. Why should that not be enjoyable? Why, do, why must you make people feel bad after watching or as they're about to watch? Should, this is all supposed to be fun. Yeah. It's all supposed to be enjoyable, win or lose. So I like to try and build an idea that what we're watching and what we're doing and like the, the game you just watched is regardless of whether you played well or lost or whatever, that there's something of value there. You didn't waste your time. And if you can do that, I feel, in my opinion, you can build an audience. But if you're crapping on everything and you're trying to put pressure on coaches and you're trying to you know, have cuts off players and all this other stuff, I think people ultimately, they start to disengage from that then after a while because they're just like, look, there's a lot of bad vibes out there in the world. Yeah. I think people want to have, you know, if you can give any sort of good vibes to people, I think they'll appreciate that and come along with it. Even if you're, t- you're speaking about something like a loss or whatever, there's a way I feel to do that in a way that can be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think something which comes across in your coverage as well, there's a sense of objectivity in the way that you cover games. You are a Munster fan. It's written for Munster fans primarily, but then there's no... There's no sense of either either slating players for the sake of it. So there's none of that, and there's uh, there's also oh, there's a bit of banter about building players up, and that's 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 good, and that's all part of the game. But it's not like blind. Uh, do you know the way Arsenal uh, Arsenal fan TV is not a great example? It's very negative, and then you get on the other side of things, you get um, people who are so deluded about their own team that they can see, they can see no wrong <laughs> in anything yeah. they do. So I like the balance that you've struck with. Three Red Kings, where you've maintained that sense of objectivity, and uh, and you're you're sort of in that in that middle ground, uh, and uh, yeah, the, the examples you use there of, of people who who create negative headlines, and I've no time for that myself. Neil Francis is the best example, and there there are others out there as well. So yeah, and uh, as you say, I think in terms of rugby is a game; it's a form of entertainment. In some senses, you know, it's a, it's sort of a frivolous thing, but also I think over lockdown in particular, like you do, as 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 you're as you were alluding to, it's so important for people. Like that's what life is about—the moments that you experience through these moments of pure joy. You know, whenever your your side gets a, a last last minute kick or something to win a game, and you're experiencing that with people, it might be friends or family. And over lockdown, we've missed out on that to to a large extent. It's not the same sort of not going to games and watching watching stuff on TV, going to games with, uh, for me, it would be with my dad or uh, with friends. Do you know, that's that's why it's it's important. And, and for that reason, do you know, it brings value to what you do and what people who cover rugby do because you're engaging people in something which is actually important. It's, it's, that's what life is about. Do you know, these moments of, 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 of joy, you're not thinking about the issues at home or work. You're, you're, you're focusing on the game and that's okay yeah, so there, I think there's enormous value but as you say it, it's it, it's interesting that it, it, it is a game but it is of such value to people um yeah because like the, the frivolous things I think at times can be the, they can be the things that kind of make your week yeah and like yeah. it's unimportant you know like a fella scores a try or doesn't score a try I mean the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter but yeah. it can be something that's hugely important. Because it's that little bit of a lift for you. Yeah. And it's something if you're if you're excited about it, it's a good thing. And it's just one of those things that you just try to make it as enjoyable for people as possible all week. 
Yeah, yeah. And the build-up and everything and knowing about the game makes it more enjoyable. You know, being able to understand what's happening makes it more enjoyable for people. That's why I started to watch American football. And I have to say, I don't enjoy it because I don't know what's going on. If I knew what was going on, I think I'd love it. But I just, it's not something I've got into. So I suppose that that's where the, the, the importance and the value lies in, in, good, in good analysis and coverage. But I want to um, I want to turn now to talk about a bit of news I haven't really shut up about over the past couple of days. I want to talk a bit more about rugby in particular, Ulster rugby and uh, a, a a big signing. Um, <laughs> you probably guess who it is. So Dwayne Vermeulen inexplicably has decided to go to Ulster, and it's fantastic. I'm absolutely delighted. I just want to get briefly your thoughts on that and the impact that he'll have Ulster. <laughs> A superb signing. Uh, you look at Dwayne Vermeulen. Like you look at the possible downsides first, because you know I'm 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 from Munster, so the <laughs> negative is the is the first thing I'm going to talk about. Uh, at 35, there's a large injury risk with a guy like Dwayne Vermeulen, because uh, just when guys get into that mid 30s period, that just tends to happen. But with that out of the way, if Ulster can keep Dwayne Vermeulen on field and productive for from November on and then into next season. What a fantastic player. Yeah. What a talent. Um, you could say, is he the same caliber of ball carrier as a Marcel Kutsia? No, I wouldn't say so. But as a more complete player, I think it's a superb signing for, for Ulster because not just because of the name Dwayne Vermeulen, but of the, 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 the value he'll give to some very good young players mm-hmm. like that are in that, um, Ulster back five, not just necessarily the back row uh, of very, very high potential young players. Uh, I think of uh, is it David McCann. Yeah. Uh, Nick Timoney, I suppose he's already got his Ireland cap now, but good player as well. A couple yeah. of other young fellas there as well. Yeah. Like working with a guy, a guy like Dwayne Vermeulen, as experienced as he is, because he's coming in, like he's a veteran player. Mm-hmm. He's 35. By the time he's finished his contract with Ulster, he'd be about 36, 37 in and, in and around there. So this could well be his last senior contract, you'd imagine. Yeah. Um. At the, at the elite level, you know. So, like, that's a huge value in and of itself. But then it, he's a box office guy as well. Like, the money that you're paying at Dwayne Vermeulen, you're going to make that back at the gates as well. With people coming in yeah. looking to see Dwayne Vermeulen playing for Ulster against, you know, your Connacht, Leinster, Munster, then in the, in the Champions Cup as well. There's huge value in that. I think yeah. it's just it's it's a no brainer signing if if he's available and you can get him in. Yeah, I, I ideally I'd say they would have got him in for a year, but with the rugby championship, you kind of have to go. You're not going to sign him for half a year. Yeah, you know, with the yeah. investment, you want to get two years. You know, you, you kind of have to for his sake as well. A two year deal is or two season deal. Yeah. that's much better. Yeah, uh, so I think it's a fabulous signing for us. Yeah. You know, just it just makes total sense. The only downside is that, like like I said, is if uh, as a guy in his mid thirties he picks up uh, an injury that he can't recover from in, in yeah. and I think yeah. Ulster and Munster have a, a lot of history of guys being signed and then an injury so yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things but look, uh-huh. I, I think that if he can stay productive on the field that's just a a, 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 a win-win for Ulster and compared to like Leone Nakawara who may well turn out quite good down in Toulon I just think it's a massive scale up just yeah. to, just again 
a superb sign. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I couldn't agree more. Um, in terms of the injury, there's there's always there's always at risk. You know, uh, signing a, a player for big money at any age. I suppose um, Snyman as well is a good oh, example of that. You know, I, minutes, I, yeah. I, I was I was absolutely gutted. Um, not be, uh, uh, not because I love Munster so much, but because. Uh, I wanted to see him play. Like most Munster fans, this world class player coming in, yeah. wanted to see him play. I absolutely got it for for both him and and for fans, uh, rugby fans generally, um, not getting to watch him. Yeah, I mean, what more can be said about uh, about Vermeulen in terms of in terms of his influence and his ability as a, as a winner? Do you know when Ulster were at their best, sort of towards uh, sort of 2011, 2012 and on onward, we had a core of world class players uh, had sort of three South Africans and then John Afoa joined us as well and they raised the game um, they they bred confidence in players and as you say like there's so many there's so many good young players in that team and, and just on that point I'd quite to get your thoughts on the perception that you and or sorry um, that you and Munster fans I know you can't speak for every Munster fan but what's the perception of Ulster from a Munster fan do you know what are the perceived sort of strengths and weaknesses in this squad well I, I can only speak for myself on on what my perception of Ulster is uh, they seem like a team who needed something because um, they were good last year they were good I think you, you, they, they had the, the, the Champions Cup the tightened format, a couple of, you know, playing to lose at home. Uh, they had a tough group there, you know. So losing that and kind of heading into the, champion, uh, into the Challenge Cup. I still think that uh, you're a few players away from competing at the top of the United Rugby Championship, which I'm very excited about. Um, Dwayne Vermeulen helps. Uh, I think that um, a guy like Nathan Doak, I think that as good a player and as much as I enjoy John Cooney, I think Nathan Doak is the type of guy who can push Ulster to that next level. Yeah. Um, I think that, because again, you look at, you know, where I see Ulster's strengths, I like the pack. Um, Tom O'Toole, very good young player. Eric O'Sullivan, good. Marty Moore, undervalued player, I think is very good as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got Rob Herring, one of the best hookers in the country. Obviously, he's playing, you know, regularly enough for Ireland, but I think he's another very underrated player yeah. with regards to what he, the basics of the gig that he brings at hooker. I think is superb. Ian Henderson, superb player. Uh, you look at some of the other guys that you brought in too, like um, there's the Australian fellow whose name completely Oh, Sam Carter. Yes, yeah. I think he's another quite good player. Yeah. There's talent coming through. You've got Stuart McCluskey. You've got uh, James Hume. Uh, Robert Balakoon, who I think is a superb talent. Jacob Stockdale, uh, Will Addison, really yeah. good player as well. There's talent there. I think halfback is where mm. Ulster, once they can scale up there, I think that there's a serious team. But halfback is, it, it, it's, it's weird because you'd be hard-pressed to say that, that John Cooney is not a good player. I was doing an article on this recently, actually. And like, if you look at John Cooney's three years at Ulster since he signed he has scored only six fewer tries than Cheslin Colby, who signed for Toulouse uh, the same year that uh, Cooney signed for Ulster. As a scorer, he is superb. Goal kicker, superb. I would suggest that if there's one area of his game where he's not top class, it would be the bits in between the scoring. Um, pass accuracy, 
pass um, consistency, uh, the quality of his tactical kicking. Uh, and then you're looking at your, your 10. I feel Ulster still need that guy at 10 as to who their, their main man is there going forward. Um, maybe it's Billy Burns. Maybe it's Mike Lowry, who I think is a very handy player as well. But I think that they need consistency and top class there. Uh, that's why I think Nathan Doak is one of the most significant players to come through for Ulster in the last five or six years. I think there might be a temptation to maybe he's a very talented player who can play at 10. Maybe he should be our 10 and work with the other talented young nine who was there last season in the under 20s. Um, Lewis Finley? Yes, yeah. yeah. I I quite liked him as well. Yeah. Uh, But for me, I think Nathan Doak, his potential as a top, top quality scrum half. Yeah. I would be looking to scale him up as quickly as possible into that Ulster side and then see what can be done at 10. Because I think all the ingredients are there for Ulster. Quality pack, good players, really good midfielders. Stuart McCluskey, as a very undervalued player, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic outside backs. For me, it's halfback. If you yeah. can get that right, Ulster will be a very, very difficult side to deal with. That's so interesting. It's great to hear another perspective. I think I think in Ulster, fans love Cooney so much that it can be hard to spot any weaknesses. Uh, um, I think as well, it's in his favour that he's such a good kicker. He's such a good pressure kicker that he gets uh, a lot of plaudits for that. Now, I do think, I do think he, I do, I do think he's an exceptional player uh, who, who probably should have got more Ireland caps than he has. I think Connor, Connor Murray's still best scrum half in, in Ireland, in my opinion. But I think Cooney probably should have had more opportunities than he than he has had. Uh, and 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 the reasons for that, uh, who, who knows? There was some chat of of Sexton wasn't a huge fan, and maybe the influence that he has, but but we'll never know for sure. Mm-hmm. I just knew that Cooney himself is is disappointed and maybe feels more deserving of of of, of more chances. Do you know? But um, yeah, very interesting because we do. It's it's interesting because we have a, a bit of depth at ten, but it is in terms of quality depth. I, Billy Burns is, is there and I have to say I've been impressed by him from an Ulster perspective and I'm not just hopefully I'm not just blindly optimistic about the season he'll have I think you watch your own team through rose-tinted glasses quite a lot and um, I think we all do that and it's it's really it's actually refreshing to hear that that's a perceived weakness for Ulster because I wouldn't have immediately jumped to that um, I probably would have just said depth um, depth in various positions back row actually for me before uh, the signing of Vermeulen I would have thought was was a bit lightweight and it wasn't pre-Vermeulen I would have agreed to an yeah. extent I yeah. still think there was quality there I mean you look at the ball carrying in Ulster's pack they needed another a guy to replace Kutsia because he was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Ulster's uh, one-two punch that they would often do during the season. Kutsia, McCluskey, you, yeah. could build, you can build a lot of structure off that. And Ulster were very, very dangerous when they got those guys going. But again, when you look at Ulster when they played Leinster for the most part, um, and sometimes away to Munster as well, but not always, um, the, the games against Leinster when Kutsia maybe wasn't able to get as much over the ball uh, get win as much gain line, win as many collisions. That then put extra pressure on McCluskey, which now we're into this into the situation where now you're halfbacks. That's where they start to come to the fore, and that for me is always where uh, Cooney has fallen down in those yeah. in in those games. Now he's a fantastic scorer, 
But yeah. for me, the basics of his of of his of his scrum half play for me are not not poor. I would say he's just decent. Yeah. And I think Ulster need a guy who can help facilitate it a little bit more. And they need that they need that guy at ten, whoever that guy is. I'm not sure if it's Billy Burns, but they need that guy. And I think if, if Ulster can get that guy, either develop him from within or sign him from elsewhere, because yeah. I think there's a lot of nonsense goes on about like uh, what part of the country. Uh, what hospital a fellow was born in. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree, 100%. There's a lot of nonsense. This is a pro yeah. game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like where guys can get their, where they can get, get to be successful and get paid, that's where they are. That's where they live. Yeah. And uh, wherever you can get that guy. Yeah. I've heard a, a number of people going on about like, oh, like Ross Byrne at Ulster would be a great move. I think that'd be a backward step. Uh, I think that there's, there's, Scope out there now it could be Billy Burns. I'd like to see like what he what he's like this season, but I, I think halfback anyway. Like I was saying, is an area where I feel once Ulster can scale up there and obviously yeah. keep key guys fit, it'll be a a, a a bother for anybody. Yeah, it's so interesting, and um, I think our, our depth there basically we've got um, Burns, we've got Madigan would be uh, there to step in. Um, who who played very well preseason? There he played uh, actually in the game we lost. He was one of the one of the sort of standout players, um, in, in what was otherwise a, a fairly terrible game. The first leg at home against Saracens, mm-hmm. um, and Michael Lowry, who you mentioned, is interesting because he's played primarily at fifteen for Ulster. He played um a lot of, a lot of his rugby at ten. That's sort of his natural position. Now whether he can kick on to the next leg level at 10 given his size um size isn't to be all an end all but in 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 modern professional rugby it's a factor that has to be considered uh what we're doing this season that's interesting with the new new assistant coaches come in playing slightly differently that's quite an exciting sort of variation for Ulster it's playing more down the middle of the pitch um, setting up rocks in the middle and setting up two playmakers either side or a playmaker either side and a pot of forwards either side of that rock as well and so basically what you'll have increasingly is you'll have maybe Billy Burns you have playing out half and the fullback coming up so it would be Mike Lowry or, or Will Addison and the idea of Will Addison coming up as a as a, as another playmaker and distributing and kicking and, and showing, showing off his boxer tricks is, is very exciting um, uh, as I say, bit of depth there, but as you say, it's just nailing down who's going to be the the ten going forward long term. Yeah. Like, um, again, I think a lot of teams like sorry to jump in you there, but I think a lot of teams are are going to go with two, maybe even three playmakers going forward. Yeah. And I like I like Michael Lowry in that he can give you both options. He's got the pace, agility to be a breaking option in the wider channel. Yeah. Can playmake out there as well, rotate in the first receiver. Like yeah. I was at the game. Because I was, I was thinking about it there. I've seen Ulster play recently in person. Yeah. Last year at the Rainbow Cup, I was covering uh, for Limerick Live 95. I was covering that game on the radio. So I was oh, in okay. the park for that. And the, the big standout for me in that game was Ulster's kicking. Why weren't they kicking? Yeah. Like, it's so, like I was watching that game and they went through phase after phase after phase after phase of road. And, and at Munster were reading it defensively. Yeah. They needed somebody to kick that ball and reset. They, yeah. they just kept the ball in hand. Now maybe they were, maybe that was something they were looking at. Here, look, we're just going to keep the ball in hand. We're, we're just going to try and run through these schemes and go from there. But that area of the game is where it kind of got in my head about it because I knew I had to think about like, why am I thinking about halfback? Is like, oh, because of the yeah. that game that I saw where Ulster's kicking 
strategy and their kicking tendencies were so poor, playing so much rugby in their own half of the field. That's where I feel like, and I, I can't remember, I don't know if Cooney was playing that game or not, but it's something that I've seen of Ulster in, in previous games, like against Leicester as well, of they just need to kick the ball a little bit more. I can understand wanting to hang on to it because if you've got Jacob Stockdale, you've got Robert Balakoon, you've got Stuart McCluskey, you want to keep the ball in hand. You want to get these guys yeah. on the ball. But yeah. That's one area of the game where I felt that Ulster, and I think especially in the 50-22 era, that that is something that's going to be even more important. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. In terms of, just finally about Ulster, you mentioned Nathan Duke. And Nathan Duke is a guy who's played, he, he hasn't had a huge number of appearances based on his age. He's uh, he's only, he's 19. He carries himself with a certain swagger, confidence. You speak to people in and around the coaching staff and players at Ulster and they'll all tell you Nathan Duke's sort of the next big thing coming through. You know, they've obviously seen more than we have sort of in training and at age group level as well. Do you know, he's, he, he's, he's tore it up and very excited to see him come through. Maybe it's that sort of competition or rotating Cooney in and out. Uh, with Duke this season and uh, and and see how they get on. It might be uh, tactically dependent the, the, the who they start there, um, but Duke's supplying a bit of pressure, which is exciting given given how young he is and how well he's playing. Um, and as as, you, as you're saying, sort of the Ulster the Ulster backs, certainly the starting backs are very exciting. Um, you mentioned most of them, James Hume there as well. Um, quite a formidable, powerful centre partnership. Do you know the two McCloskey? and Hume um, really happy about that and then a sort of all Irish back three now with Balak he'll play a lot more for Ireland um, and he just looks physically bigger bigger. he sort of reminds me of, of Tommy Boo coming through do you know he's sort of like he, he's pretty tall gangly but wiry and powerful and, and, and runs fantastic lines from deep as well so it'd be really interesting to see how he, how he kicks on um, so I want to ask you a wee bit more about Munster now, and tell tell us a bit more because I suppose preseason is one of those things you sort of focus on your own team. I know that's true for me. Munster seemed to have an in-house friendly where they couldn't lose because they played each other. It was quite yeah, clever, or, 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 or they couldn't win. <laughs> that's, that's true as well. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that that was kind of forced once bat at. Because we, we were due to to, to play Bath in Thoman Park, uh, but they had uh, COVID issues, so they had they had to pull out. So right. uh, Munster kind of had to put that back to you know an in-house game, essentially sixty minutes. Um, which you know, again, uh, there was few enough people at that. The people who I've spoken to said that look, there was a lot of good rugby played, but there's only so much you can learn. Really, it's an in-house yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, then you look at the next game against Exeter, which uh, I've spoken to a few people who were at that game. And it was a relatively strong Exeter side in front of a pretty big crowd at Sandy Park. And Munster played astoundingly well. Um, so preseason has gone relatively well. Um, as much as you could read into anything with regards to preseason, you know. But I look at, you know, Munster this season, what, what, what's needed and what's required. It's a trophy. Yeah. That's what Munster... And like, again, there's a number of different reasons why I would say that. You know, when you have RG Snaven and Damien Delende. Now, hopefully, both those guys will be available this year. And they're on the last of a two-year contract. Who knows whether they'll be able to re-sign? Because, again, it's not just about having the money. It's about getting the dispensation yeah. uh, to sign them from or to re-sign them from the IRFU. When you have guys at that contract value on your team, you're built and you're set up to win and win now. So that's got to be the aim. It's 10 years this year since Munster won a trophy. 
So that can't continue. That has mm-hmm. to change. So that's the aim. For, and I think there's quality there to do it, but that will, that will be the aim now this season. Well, I know it's the aim every year, but Munster last year got to a Pro 14 final uh, and did not play well. Um, lost what I felt was a very winnable game, both beforehand and afterwards. Uh, and that in itself should be uh, kind of a launching point, I think, for a lot of, for a lot of these guys. Um, but yeah, no, I think like for, for Munster this year, success is a trophy. Not winning a trophy is a hard failure, and that has to be assessed as such. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and and that's the kind of thing. Because sometimes I think you can be, oh well, you know, they don't, yeah, they don't have to win a trophy to be successful. Look, I think Munster getting to a final last year and losing it, uh, losing a tight game to the eventual winners of the Champions Cup last season, that's all grand, but that has to be improved this year now. Yeah. So yeah. there's pressure with that. Yeah. There's pressure that comes with that need to win because, you know, Leinster win uh, a Pro 14 trophy and it's like, that's almost a consolation prize to them at this stage. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is, that that shows the level of success that they've had. Yeah. But, you know, for Munster now, and like, I, I think Ulster are at a slightly different stage of a kind of a, not a transition because everybody hates that word with regards to, you know, the teams. Cause like, you know, you're either going to win or you're going to lose in a season, you know, yeah. two trophies you can get. Um, so I think I think Ulster are building. Um, Munster with the young guys who are coming through. I think it's certainly possible for them to win this season. Um, I think there is that pressure internally and externally for them to produce. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a big season in that regard. Yeah, and, and how realistic do you think that is in terms of you've got you've got your two sort of world class players uh, from from abroad. I'm not saying there's no other world class players, but you've got the two South African guys. Uh, winners experience in winning and you have this young team tell me a bit more about the squad this season has there been any changes is there anyone who's come through from the academy or maybe um, a casual fan wouldn't know about that we should watch out for this season well uh, the ascension of Gavin Coombs last year from a high potential young player who I remember seeing just absolutely vaporising grown men in contact uh, when he was 19 years of age against the Jersey Reds in a British and Irish Cup final a few years ago. He took four or five years, three years in the academy, one senior year, and then his second senior year had a breakout season that was remarkable. Um, To the point that when CJ Stander retired at the end of last season, such was the performance of Gavin Coombs all year long. That was not the catastrophe that it would have been even a year prior. Yeah. So Gavin Coombs is a guy, again, I'll preface all this with staying fit because this, this is true for every team in rugby. Like you lose a couple of key players to injury and if it's long-term, that's more or less you've done for the yeah. season. And that, yeah. can ha- and, like, and that can happen early. Yeah. So keeping a guy like Gavin Coons fit is hugely important. He is a, 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 a high-quality young player who I think this year will have a lot more analysis done on him. It'll be more difficult for him this year, yeah. but it'll be up to him to scale up and I, I definitely think he's capable of that. Other than that, though, there's a couple of good young players coming through who I think are, I won't say they'll have a Gavin Coombs-like season, but they certainly have the potential to. Thomas Ahern in the second row, uh, six foot nine, uh, 116 kg, exact same uh, measurements as RG Snayman. He is an extremely talented young player, um, not just because he's tall, which he is, huge wingspan, incredibly athletic, 
was a winger up until three or four years ago. So is incredibly explosive with the ball in hand, incredibly quick. Uh, he's a guy who I'd like to see get a lot of time this year. And I think in the early going of the season, certainly will. Uh, I think John Hodnett, uh, who is currently recovering from an Achilles uh, injury, I would hope to see him back around by the Connacht game uh, early in the season. He is a guy to watch out for. Um, he is... You might remember him from the under-20s a few years ago mm. uh, in the same team as Craig Casey. Um, John Hodnett is a baller. He is physical. He is incredibly dynamic. He is a really good poacher. He is uh, a guy who's got serious potential in that monster back row. Um, same can be said for Alex Candela. Uh, had a big season just gone with the Irish under-20s. Man of the match multiple times. He is an incredibly talented young player and one of the most complete young back row forwards that I've ever seen in my time doing this. Um, I've seen a lot of good players coming through like James Ryan and a couple of other guys like that. I think Alex Kendellan is in that tier of player. Yeah. can go from year one of the academy to his second year now to having a breakout year and I'd be shocked if he's not on a senior contract um, next season. Yeah. He, is incre- he is incredibly good. Then you're looking at Josh Witchery, Jack Crowley, Jake Flannery, Ben Healy. Um, there's a couple of other guys as well. Sean French. Uh, James French is one guy who I think that people may not be aware of. Uh, he is another guy from West Cork. He's from Bandon. He is a giant of a man. He is north of 120 kg. I, he's loose at or tight head. I'm not quite sure because he's, he's bounced around in different teams. He hasn't played a whole lot of rugby in the last few years. He's had a succession of injuries. But he is a big lad. And that's a guy who I think has got real potential this year as a ball carrying. Uh, then you're looking at Scott Buckley, young hooker, another quality player. There's lots of, there's lots of fellas coming through. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's this year, it'll be about balancing the need to develop those guys. It's about balancing the need to develop them, but also making sure that they're ready for the level of rugby that you're expecting them to play at. Because it's not just about the match at the weekend they have to play the match at the weekends but then there's the mental build up of getting to that game like after the game do they have a mental dump where they're no more good for another day or two afterwards if they are next week if they're not getting through their sessions like if you're, if you're doing double sessions on a Tuesday or whatever else if they're not coming through that without again physical exhaustion picking up a few knocks and bumps they may not be ready to play every game that's the thing with, with rugby at this level I think and I think a lot of people get this confused with it when it comes to why a team like Ulster or Munster or whoever would sign in a player, even Leicester do this, with a guy like Scott Fardy, who they retained for four years. Reason being is because when you have a guy like that, it takes pressure off young players and allows them the time to develop into being the the players that we want them to be, which is productive high-end players. Because if they get to the stage where they're playing for Ireland, they may play 10 times for their province during the season. And the rest of the time, they're playing test rugby. Yeah. So we have to get guys who are who get them up to that level, but you can't look to burn out players every like young players especially because injuries early in a young player's career are can be catastrophic. They can turn a guy who is a five star prospect into a fellow who turns out maybe just to be a solid pro, if mm. even. Yeah, that's the big like that's the big difference maker for me. Yeah, patience because I, I, you, know, you you you've seen it probably. I know mm. I've certainly seen it with like why isn't young player playing this week when he played so well last week. There could be any number of reasons, especially yeah. when it comes to academy guys who are still in college. There's any number yeah. of reasons for that could be. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of talent in Munster, but 
Munster have to be looking at a win now mentality as well. And I think there's guys there who can help them. It'll have to be, you know, there'll have to be that push from within in the squad. But there's guys there. I think Jack Crowley has the potential to be a generational talent at right. 10 or 12. Like, and it depends on what way Munster want to play, which is the other side of it. How will we develop our game on from last year? We were better than what I think Munster were given credit for last year. But when you lose, you know, when you, when you don't win trophies and you're, you're losing big games to Leinster, you have to take your criticism. There's, you can't go, oh, well, we're, we're building. Yeah. People, only care, people only care about wins and losses. Yes, exactly. Like if you're talking about development after you've lost the game, you're, you're in a losing position straight away. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, like that'll be the big thing. It's a big year for a lot of this group, for this coaching group. Um, like it, it won't be a stage of I don't, don't think there's jobs on the line but they know they're set up to win this season yeah. realistically it's going to be very difficult yeah. um, but I think there's certainly the potential there they, they, they will hope to be there or thereabouts uh, a semi-final at least in Europe I think has to be the aim and another final in the Pro 14 yeah. that has to be the aim as well yeah, uh, I know, and there's only so many tr- trophies to go about. <laughs> that's the thing. Whereas you've got Munster, Ulster. Realistically, we're, I mean, Dan McFarlane came out recently and said exactly the same thing as you just said. We have to aim for trophies. We have to aim high. You know, for Ulster, uh, that that phrase. Oh, it's a transition year. I've been hearing that for for <laughs> for so many years. Next year's or next year's a big season. Let's aim towards that. Uh, in terms of in terms of Ulster, like we have a pretty narrow window here, where we have a world class player in the team who's who's come in. I don't think we have uh, Ian Henderson's up there um, as as being a sort of world class. However, you define that, I I I'd rate him at, at that very highest level. But apart from that, Vermeulen's come in. You know, if we don't do it now, if we don't win some sort of trophy, it's going to be increasingly difficult. I'd say realistically, we have to put our eyes on next season with the young guys coming through. But I'm very encouraged to hear about the number of talents come through at Munster, particularly Crowley, because that could solve this issue Ireland have at 10. If if he kicks on and gets to that level, there's, there's no obvious, I, I, I would say there's an obvious sort of replacement. Uh, I think that that's been well done documented by many journalists but mm-hmm. there's no obvious uh, guy to come in and fill those massive boots so Crowley and you might see Casey I mean in terms of the next, the next scrum half for Ireland I would say it's, it's between Casey and, and Duke I'd say Casey has the advantage of being slightly further ahead at this point yeah um, mm-hmm. Duke is an incredible talent um, yeah, yeah. They're, they're two guys who if they can stay fit will be having a right hole tangle for that jersey I would say yeah, but yeah. When you look at that ten conversation, I mean, Sexton can't go on forever. I assume. I mean, he could. Maybe he's going to be at the twenty twenty seven World <laughs> Cup at like forty something years of age. Maybe. But like again, the like you look at Joy Carberry, but for Joy Carberry this year, there's an element of a question mark about about you know where I where I feel he can go. And yeah. he's been out a long time with injury. Yeah. Uh, he was certainly in the frame to be the next Irish ten after uh-huh. Sexton, but. I would say that's far from a formality. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a lot of rugby to play this year early to see where he's at and if he's if he's able to kind of ascend up to that level. Because like you look at Sexton, even though he's 36 years of age now, like I, I would still say he's still the best 10 in the country. Yeah. Uh, and replacing him at Ireland level and at Leinster level is a colossal ask. Yeah. Absolutely colossal. Yeah. The scale of his importance. like to Because to, uh, I, I would put... I think Ronan O'Gara is a more important player 
in the grand scheme of Irish rugby for talking about tens because mm-hmm. he was the guy who was running the team from when they ascended from where they were mm-hmm. to where we know now. Yeah. But Sexton, I think, as a as a complete player, I think that there's very few fellas who can even get into the conversation with Sexton, uh, yeah. Europe wise, worldwide. Yeah, replacing him is so because, like, again, if it was easy to replace him, he'd already be replaced. Yeah, yeah. But he's thirty six. Yeah, and it's and he's still the main man at Leinster. Like, he drives the show there. Yes. Main man at Ireland too. That's going to yeah. be very difficult, and that like that's a massive conversation as yeah. to where that goes. I don't think it's Billy Burns. Uh, it's definitely not Ross Byrne. It's, you know, Joy Carberry. Does he have the ability to stay fit? Can he get on the field? Very, very, these are all very difficult questions that are going to have to be answered sooner or later from an Irish perspective because I think nine is looking pretty good. Yeah. The next big question is 10. Yeah. Yeah. Especially heading into that World Cup in 2023. I know. Um, I know. Do we want to be taking a 37, 38 year old Johnny Sexton to that World Cup? I don't know. I know it's 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 finding um that's the thing. Like I, I completely agree with you. I think Sexton's the best ten in the country still. Um, but um I think we're in we're in big trouble if he if he ends up being our number one option <laughs> come the next World Cup. Something's because... gone drastically wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the minute, do you know, as you say, it's reassuring to hear there's options coming out of, of Munster. I mean Carberry's the obvious one. I think he's the uh he, he, he anointed one in some ways, uh, although, although Billy Burns is deputised, uh, you know, for Ireland. But whether whether we could pin our hopes on him, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Billy Burns is a good player, yeah. but I'm not sure if he's going to be that guy, the yeah. main man longer term. I'd be uh, look. It's certainly possible. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and even from, from a monster perspective, sorry, from Ulster perspective, I w- I wouldn't make that case for for, for Billy Burns, despite uh, the fact I, I rate him really highly. But yeah, so whether whether Crowley or or what's Ben Healy like? Is he is he at the the sort of uh, level required or? Well, I mean, I, I I like Ben Healy. Ben Healy last year had a fantastic start to the season. Uh, landed some great kicks, um, really important kicks, um, and. They were just really entertaining. Seeing a guy landing a kick to win a game in the last minute from behind the halfway line. Yeah. That's Munster Rugby. So that was hugely exciting. Um, as the season progressed, uh, I, I don't feel that he really, really pushed on. He got a lot of minutes. He, he played a lot of rugby. And certainly, he's a, look, he's a very young player still. I mean, this was in year two of the academy, I think it was. Uh, so he was playing away grand. Uh, but I just didn't see a kind of an escalation towards the end of the season. And by the end of the season, his goal kicking wasn't that great either. This year, I want to see a kind of a push on from him from a face play perspective to show that he can be a complete player. He's a great kicker of the ball, uh, usually quite a reliable goal kicker. Um, but I want to see more uh, instinctive play from him. I want to see if he can be a guy who can direct phases, who can progress phases. I want to see if he's a guy who can start challenging um, the tackle line himself uh, and bring that aspect to his game. Because he's got the size, he's a big guy, six foot three. So, like, I, I think in the fifty twenty two era, that is something that can be a big bonus to him because he's got a massive boot off both sides. Mm-hmm. He can hit a, a fairly tight spiral. Um, that area of his game could be hugely interesting. Um, I think he's in pole position to start this season as the number ten. Joey Carberry is coming back; will only be coming back fully to training over the last week or two. So, it's a big opportunity for him, and he's in a one year deal. 
So like he'll want to be impressing early to start talking contract extension around November, December. Yeah. And it's it's a big year from him. But like I think he's a very good player. Um, but I want to see a bit a more complete game from him. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And um, we're, we're running out of time, but the last thing I want to ask you is what are you most excited about for this season? We'll keep it, keep it positive because that's what, as you're saying at the start, it's easy to, easy to think of. It's, um, particularly for a monster person, it might be easy to think of all the, the potential negatives <laughs> that, that, that will happen. But what, what are you most excited about for this season? Uh, one thing in particular, no, well, two things. The first is to hear uh, the crowd and see the flags ahead of kickoff in Thoman Park for stand-up and fight in a week uh, yeah. against the Sharks. I'm going to see a handy crowd in there uh, and to enjoy that. The next thing I'm looking forward to is uh, the first time that you can get a full house back into Thoman Park again. Maybe it's for a big European Cup game. We'll have to see how COVID goes, of course. But to be there and to see and feel the energy of that crowd and to see the players feel the energy of that crowd as well and what it can do. Because any player who I've spoken to who's played in Thoman Park has said that it almost doesn't even feel like a home game at times because the noise and the, 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 the energy coming down off the stands, it can crush you. Yeah. But it can turn you into a giant at the same time. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the first big game back at Thoman Park with a full crowd and to feel that energy before the game, to feel the energy walking up uh, the Cracklow Road. I want to see that energy. I want to feel it. And it, I, I might not even go to the press area for that. I might just go into the to the, to the stands. That's what because I, I I I'm a fan. Yeah. I want to see that. I want to feel that energy. That to me is why you get into this game in the first place. It's the energy, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Wins and losses will come and go. I have no control over that. But when you can get to the game itself and enjoy the atmosphere. That's what I'm most looking yeah. forward to, I would say. Same here, same here. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me. That was really interesting. And um, yeah, great to learn more about the guys coming through at Munster, but also to hear about the perceptions of Ulster. And actually, I learned a lot, I, I suppose, just listening to you talk about maybe perceived weaknesses and areas that we could, we could maybe improve as well. But yeah, so... Anyone who's a fan of rugby should um, follow Three Red Kings on on Twitter and Instagram and uh, and, and sign up to to the Patreon as well on on Three Red Kings website. And uh, yeah, Tom, thank you so much.